may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome welcome uh, to Strength to Strength. It's a real, real blessing to be here uh, with each one of you um, this morning. Uh, thank you for coming and joining. Um, the verse of the day uh, is, is this, um, out of Psalm 59, verse 16. But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and my refuge in the day of my trouble. And one of the things I've been thinking about lately is how, um, as, as we are part of, 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 of Christ's kingdom, God's kingdom here on earth, uh, it brings us so much hope and joy, even in hard, hard circumstances. And uh, isn't that what, um, as Christ followers, isn't that what we should be bringing to the world? Um, and even think about that our churches, you know, as kind of corporate uh, proclamations of the kingdom, shouldn't our churches be place of radical hope? And it's because of, of Jesus and who he is and um and, and as we get to follow him and participate in the work that he's done in the world. And so this morning, um, I, I'm, I'm confident that this, um, this talk will lead us into that hope. Um, the power of the kingdom relies through weakness. So Marvin, uh, thank you for joining us, uh, this morning from the other side of the pond in Southeast Asia. Um, I had the privilege of working with Marvin. Um, there uh, with All Nations Bible Translation. Uh, Marvin is sent by his church in Kansas, and they've been working there now for a couple of years um, in that part of the world, uh, working with a large, unreached um, Muslim people group there. Um, so doing, doing church planting, and, and in order to do church planting, they're working at um, Bible Translation uh, into that, that particular language, or getting started on that, on that process. So uh, but yeah, Marvin, thank you for coming and joining us here this morning, um, this evening over there. I think you're exactly uh, 12 hours ahead of us right now, so six o'clock in the evening there. Um, so yeah, thanks for being on here this morning. Looking forward to uh, the, your talk, and um, I would just also say um, maybe you can do a little introduction of, of who you are and your, and your family and your team there, um, either at the beginning here or, or at the end. Um, so. Uh, go ahead. So I saw yours. All right. Actually, before thank we start, you. let's just have prayer. Let's just go ahead and have prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this opportunity to come together uh, in this way. Father, I ask that you would pour out your blessing on on this talk on Brother Marvin um, as he um, uh, shares. Father, we're we're looking at a mystery here, um, a mystery of of, of this this unbelievable idea of the God of the universe coming um, and showing himself, revealing himself uh, through your son, Jesus, um, in, a, in a way that was so counter, it is so counter, was and is so counter to our ways as human beings. Um, but Father, as we dig into this reality, it, it's, it's explosive in our minds, it, it inspires us, it uh, inflames our imagination to think of, of working in this world in ways that are your ways and not our ways. Um, and we can see how that brings hope and change 
in people's lives and communities. So, Father, uh, bless for the more in a special way that he shares here, Lord, and may your Holy Spirit be among us. And may through this talk, um, your kingdom be advanced a little farther. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, Brother Marvin, it's all yours. Uh, and by the way, Marvin is an alias. Um, so just for security purposes, where um, you would see Marvin on the screen as well. Uh, he has his camera off. And so we're just being careful because of the context that um, Marvin is working in. So all yours. All right. Thank you, Brian, for that introduction and for that prayer. It's certainly an amazing privilege to be a part of a kingdom where um, we serve Jesus. And uh, so that's exciting. You asked me to give a brief introduction uh, regarding me and my family and our team. So I will try to do that quickly here. So um, this has been a fairly long, uh, long story for us, I guess. But um, I have a wonderful wife and Four children, all wonderful as well. <laughs> and uh, we've been here in Asia for approximately three years. So as Brian said, um, working with all nations and um, in uh, translation work and church planting. So it's um, it's been quite the journey so far, and we're just getting started. So we... Uh, but yeah, we're excited about the opportunities that, that God has been giving us here to do his work. We're working with, um, another family also from, uh, close to our area where we live in the States. And, um, it's been a privilege to work with them and, um, always a humbling experience to realize that we can't do things alone. We need others. So it's been a good experience. All right, that's a really short introduction, but we'll leave it at that for now. So um, with that, we'll get started with the talk here, which is the power of the kingdom realized through weakness. Um, and I'll just say up front, some of this, especially the latter section, um, are um, not necessarily perfectly formulated thoughts as much as musings that I've that I've had over the last few years. All right, so let's get started. The power of the kingdom realized through weakness. Um, I think it's easy to come to cross-cultural ministry opportunities with the assumption that um, we're supposed to have most of the answers, maybe all of the answers, because, you know, we are going halfway around the world to reach the unreached, and so um, we want to make sure that we're prepared and that we know what we're doing. Um, but I think that sometimes this can come with, and I, I think this is, this is waning, but I, I think it still happens sometimes that we come with the assumption of occupying positions of power and leadership, whether uh, socially or, um, religiously. So, um, my thesis this morning is, um, simple that we are called to bring the kingdom of God to earth primarily through occupying positions of weakness and vulnerability rather than positions of power and authority. And actually, let me just go back to the previous slide. Um, in this talk, 
I'd like for us to address a number of, of controlling questions to think about as we go through this, some of which um, we may touch briefly and some of which we may dive deeper into. So, number one, how does Scripture portray God's use of power, divine power and authority? Um, is God some tyrannical ruler? Is he just a pushover? Um, how, how does God interact with, with power? Number two, how does God intend his people to exercise power and influence? And number three, how should we think about um, power and influence in the context of cross-cultural work? Hmm. So as we go on, I think we would all recognize and, and um, confess that Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And um, there are things that from the outside look very strange and um, sometimes ridiculous. But um, we realize and confess that we are a part of a kingdom that does not operate with the same paradigm that the world operates by. So I already went over my thesis. And so let's um, look at, uh, first look at scripture. Um, so this morning we'll be looking at scripture and um, just a very brief overview of how scripture treats the subject of, of um, extending the kingdom through weakness. <clears throat> then we'll look at a few examples from the early church. And then uh, towards the end, we will... Um, I'll offer a few musings from my personal experience um, living overseas for a couple of years. So let's start with scripture. Um, it would it would take a long time, admittedly, to go over all the ways in which this theme of of power through weakness and weakness as as being a part of bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And because of that, I will go over simply offer a brief. Um, brief scope of, of how God displays his power through voluntary weakness throughout scripture. So let's talk about creation and covenant. Um, so in the beginning, God creates, he creates a perfect world. He creates men and women, um, Adam and Eve in his image, um, whom he loves and desires to, um, to receive obedience from. But to accomplish this, God um, at least in a way he um, submits himself to weakness by allowing these beings to choose love, to choose to love him or to choose to love himself, to choose to love themselves. Um, and this is significant because to allow someone a choice, specifically to love someone, is to choose vulnerability over control. And yet God, from the very beginning, set up the world in that way. Um, he set up... Um, it as a reflection of his character. This is the way that God interacts with his creation. But God didn't stop there. He also chose to demonstrate his glory and to fulfill his plan, um, at least in part by establishing a covenant with Abraham and his offspring. So Yahweh both severely disciplined Israel for their waywardness, and he also lavished grace and love on his people despite their rebellion and disobedience. For the one true God who created heaven and earth to lower himself to making a covenant with, with wretched humans is simply ludicrous, at least if we're looking at it from the outside. 
for God to choose love over control places him in a position of, of weakness again. And we see this throughout the stories of the Old Testament. God constantly allowing his people to mess things up and yet constantly calling them back. It's, it's, um, there's just a lot of messiness in, in, in the Bible. And if we're not okay with that, um, maybe we're not okay with the God of the Bible. Now, if we read the Old Testament well, I think in some ways we should not be completely surprised at what God does next. At the same time, this upside-down way in which God chooses to work redemption should never uh, lose its its shock value and its wonder for us. And of course, I'm talking about uh, Jesus. And the upside-down way in which in which God chooses to work out his plan of redemption through his very own son. And I think it's important that we remember, remember that redemption in the New Testament is not just about Jesus' death. It's about Jesus living the perfect life that no one else could live, whether Adam or Israel. Where Israel miserably failed, Jesus succeeded. Jesus lived the perfect life of complete faithfulness, and obedience to the Father. And though Jesus acknowledged that he was the Messiah to his contemporary Jews, he also explained that he was not the Messiah that those Jews were hoping for. And throughout his life, Jesus modeled the paradigm of, of suffering as the way to true life, and ultimately as the God-ordained way to establish and grow the kingdom of God in a sinful and broken world. Hmm. Mark, uh, let's go now to Mark 10, 35 through 45. This is uh, a familiar story about uh, James and John coming to Jesus, asking for positions of power in the future kingdom of God. Jesus replied, I can't do that for you. That's up to the Father. The other ten disciples hear this, and they get really angry at James and John. And so Jesus calls the 12 to him and says, look, I know that that in the kingdoms of the world, this is how people operate. They vie for power. They vie for control. But that's not how my kingdom works. And as he says this, he also says, for the son of man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come as an earthly king or a powerful ruler. He came as a weak baby, living the life of a normal, fragile human. He came to serve. If Jesus would have come as many of his contemporaries expected the Messiah to come, that is, with military and political might and violence, he would have been been agreeing with the Roman Empire's way of, of accomplishing her ends. But Jesus said, no, that's not how things work in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God works and grows through self-sacrifice, yeah. through weakness. Recently, one of my Muslim friends showed me a video of a little girl. I say recent, just about six months ago. Um, she was reading a Bible story book, and, and um, the gist of it was that the little girl was reading about Jesus growing in knowledge and favor with God, and suddenly she stopped and asked her daddy, but daddy, Jesus was God. How could God learn more about himself? The father wasn't quite sure what to say. And so he 
but eventually he bucked up and offered a bit of a lame response. This, of course, was posted on a Muslim YouTube channel intending to show how absolutely ridiculous Christian belief is. Hmm. As I thought more about it, um, I began to realize that the more I realized that these are parts of the Bible that we often quickly breeze over without giving it a second thought. Presumably this was taken from a passage like Luke 2.52 where Jesus is said to have grown in favor and uh, stature with, with God and man. But these are exactly the kinds of verses that deserve a lifetime of meditation. Jesus was God. Jesus himself was God. Yet he allowed himself to grow physically, mentally, and spiritually. That is astounding. Amen. Now moving on to Philippians 2, 5 through 10. Again, this is a very familiar passage. In this passage, Paul describes Jesus' self-abasement. Um, Jesus taking on weakness. Jesus was God, but he came to earth to minister to human, to human beings as himself a weak human. God's solution again was, was not through military conquest. It needed something much more, something much more um, sacrificial. It needed the sacrificial life and death of his only son. <clears throat> now, as, as we think again, um, more about the cross. It's it's one of the core symbols of Christianity. And one of the things that goes against sinful human nature and conflicts heavily with Muslim belief, I, I run into it all the time here, is the idea that God could experience weakness and suffering. As it was in the first century, so it is today in the 21st century, the word of the cross is still folly to those who are perishing. It is still a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. In the Islamic part of the world, divine weakness is antithetical to the Muslim conception of God. And one of my longings, my deep longings, is to see my Muslim friends here come to realize the overwhelming beauty of the Son of God humbling himself and becoming a man, um, becoming a, a real human, suffering a cruel death on a cross as the ultimate expression of divine love. And furthermore, to, to, to also see that suffering as the ultimate display of power. How do I expect them to see that? Well, I hope they at least in part can see that through me as a representative of, of Christ. Recently, I've been reading through the Gospels, and, and something that has really stood out to me is or are the passages that talk specifically about Jesus's compassionate interactions with um, the downcast. Jesus interacted with social outcasts in very intimate and sometimes scandalous ways. For example, Jesus healing the leper. Compassion is, in a way, an admittance of weakness, because to show compassion is to allow oneself to be emotionally drawn towards another person, allowing the other person to exercise power over us, thus opening us up to vulnerability. And it's very similar to, to loving someone. We are, we are giving that person um, some degree of control or power over us, which opens us up to vul vulnerability. Probably uh, none of us truly like being vulnerable. It's, it's scary. Um, 
but um, it's what we see in through the, throughout the life of Jesus. <clears throat> in one of my recent interactions with a Muslim friend, um, this friend had suffered just a, a tragic loss of one of his friends, and God impressed upon me the importance of entering into the pain of of my friend, because it's always tempting to offer quick pat answers like Jesus can heal your pain. And um, I think maybe I did actually tell him something like that, but I don't know that that was the the most impactful thing that um, God had me do that day. I think it was simply listening to the story and feeling the pain and expressing my care and love for him. Our responsibility as followers of Jesus is, is, is to allow ourselves to become vulnerable and to show the love and compassion that Jesus himself feels for the lost and hurting. Again, that's difficult. It's hard. It's, it's, it's unpleasant. Um, but I believe it's what we are called to. All right. Now we're going to, um, we looked at a, a few, um, places in scripture where we see the theme of, of, uh, building the kingdom through weakness, we see God, Father, we see Jesus living um, a life of of sacrificial love. And so now we're going to move on to a few examples from the early church. The first example is actually from the New Testament, but I'm just putting it in here to make things a little bit um, smoother. So the first example is of sacrificial living. This is um, from the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. I'm not going to take time to read the passage, um, but uh, the, the question of power is, is something I believe that that Paul wrestled with in his dealings with with um, recalcitrant churches. Paul had to deal with the question of what it should look like to be in a position of spiritual power and authority while operating within the kingdom of God. We know how Paul used his power before Jesus got a hold of him. Uh, he was a violent, um, hate-filled man, and yet God, uh, Jesus got a hold of him, turned him around, and what we see in his his letters um, are very different than he was before. So in First Thessalonians two one through twelve, uh, Paul states that although he could have exercised his apostolic authority and made the Thessalonian church um, do what he wants them to do. He instead accepted suffering and labored day and night, and in fact gave his own life for them. He talks, he uses um, language from Isaiah 66, where where he talks about, in which Yahweh is described as a mother caring for her children. Um, Paul uses very similar language here. Um, so so Paul um, gave of himself. He he lived a life of sacrifice so that these churches could grow and mature. Second example is from Ignatius of Antioch, specifically from his letter to the Romans as he was on his way to Rome to be tried and martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. So Ignatius says a lot of um, shocking and and incredible things throughout um, this letter. But I'm going to just pull out a sentence from here that um, I think illustrates what we're getting at and make a few comments on it. So 
Ignatius says this in his letter to the Romans. He says, it is better for me to die in behalf of Jesus Christ than to reign over all the ends of the earth. Now that is outrageous. How does, how does that even make sense? Unless you have a, um, insider's view of what is really going on in God's kingdom. And I think it made perfect sense to Ignatius because he understood the character of God and how he works in the world through his people. Weakness is not an enemy of God. It is a tool. And, um, just, just for a minute, just for fun, let's think a little bit about the irony of the statement. Ignatius is on his way to Rome. Rome is the center of the Roman Empire, of course, the, the symbol of political and military might, control, and just bloody brutality. It, it seems to me um, highly unlikely that Ignatius could have written this without a little smirk on his face, without um, some polemical intentions. It's like he's he's giving us this huge beast, a uh, slight prick in the ribs, um, saying, Rome, you think you're really something, but I have something much better. So it is better for me to die in behalf of Jesus Christ than to reign over all the ends of the earth. Third and final one is from Origen, a late third and early fourth century Christian theologian, biblical scholar, and philosopher. In his work against Celsus, Origen responds to the pagan critic Celsus, um, who thinks it's ridiculous of Christians not to fight in the Roman army. So Origen's first line of, of reasoning, line of response, is that living a life of piety is of more help to the emperor and his empire than waging war. Second, Origen states that prayer is more effective than joining the ranks of the Roman Empire, or of the, of the empire's army. He states, We who by our prayers destroy all demons which stir up wars, violate oaths, and disturb the peace, are of more help to the emperors than those who seem to be doing the fighting. Again, what a crazy statement. Origen is saying, look, you might be out there fighting, and you might be, you might think you're, do, you're, you're accomplishing a lot, but let me tell you, we Christians or stay at home and pray for you, for the empire, for the kingdom of God, we're actually accomplishing much more than you are. Perhaps prayer is, is the single most important tool in our efforts to bring the kingdom of God to earth through weakness rather than power and control. Prayer is, is not merely an act of piety, uh, a much-needed spiritual discipline. It's a statement of our utter reliance on the king. It is an admittance of our helplessness and our weakness. And paradoxically, it is by that acknowledgement of weakness through prayer, we are given access to unimaginable power. So the kingdom of God is not about becoming weak beings that don't accomplish anything. The kingdom of power, the kingdom of God is full of power, but it's not a power that is accomplished through um, the means of the world, through might and violence and, and control. It's a power that shows itself through obedience to the king. <clears throat> All right, now we'll keep moving along here <clears throat> um, to the third section. So we, we've looked at some uh, theme throughout scripture, 
of weakness as a way of extending the kingdom of God as, as a part of God's character, the way that he interacts with, with the world. And then we also looked at a few examples from the early church. Now, let's move on to um, a few of my musings on um, that that have come to me as, as I've lived in Asia for a couple years. I don't have a lot of experience, but um, these are just some things that I think about. And so I hope and pray that they can be helpful to you as um, whether you're overseas in ministry, whether you're um, in the States in ministry, whether um, you're thinking about going overseas, wherever you are, I hope, um, I hope these musings can be helpful, even though they're, they're um, more from the perspective of someone who's living overseas. So, uh, what, and thinking specifically about going overseas, what, what kind of principle or, or paradigm should guide the first months and years that we spend in a particular context? Um, often we have presuppositions. We always have presuppositions. And often these presuppositions operate under the radar. Sometimes we refer to them as our worldview. Um, and the importance of being able to identify our, our presuppositions regarding cross-cultural work and, and the play between power and weakness and all of those things, it's just as important to know, to, to be able to, to articulate those um, as we get ready to go or as we are currently um, in cross-cultural ministry. This morning, I'll be talking, covering a couple areas, three areas specifically, um, language and culture learning relating to the national church and interacting with unbelievers. How does the above paradigm that we've seen, um, extending the kingdom through weakness, how, how does that look? How could that look possibly in a different setting in, in, in cross-cultural ministry? I'm not here to offer a step-by-step guide to success in cross-cultural ministry. Um, I hope that's not what you're expecting. Um, but what I can offer are just a few thoughts on, um, based on uh, musings, based on um, some experiences I've had here, living in a uh, Muslim country, trying to live out a life of obedience to Jesus. All right, let's look at language and culture learning. So, obviously, language and culture learning is is one of the yeah most obvious parts of of living overseas. It, it stares you in the face. You get off the plane, and you are confronted with a language that you can't speak, a culture that that doesn't make sense to you initially, and yet. Um, as we as we think about this, it's important to think how is is language and culture learning a way to spread the kingdom through weakness. So we're going to explore that just a little bit. And um, so I think one way of looking at it, at least, is is um, it can um, as we establish ourselves in a community, we are given the opportunity to walk the path of Jesus 
by becoming a child again. So Jesus was a child. We're adults, but when we enter into a other culture, it's as though we're becoming a child again, and we have to learn all over. So when we are thrust into cross-cultural situations, um, there are times when I have looked absolutely foolish and ignorant and incompetent, um, but it's something that I've I've needed to get to get uh, used to <laughs> on some level, and. Um, my desire is to to be able to make the most of those opportunities to mature, to grow, to um, learn to live life gracefully um, as I receive grace from God. Um, I certainly don't always do that, but that's that's my goal. And really, it is an amazing opportunity to to um, enter a culture, to to grow, and specifically to encounter situation encounter situations and spend years of your life looking foolish and ignorant and ridiculous. Um, because this is a, a way that God uses to help me to grow um, in grace and in um, humility. Um, but further to the point, it's important that we consider these these awkward situations as a way to establish yourself establish ourselves in the communities where God has called us to as someone who is weak and yet easy to approach because people feel threatened by displays of power and control. On the other hand, they feel assured by displays by displays of weakness and dependence. And I'll be the first to admit this is easier said than done. This is difficult. Um, possibly one reason is that we assume that if we can't communicate well, we can't share the gospel. This uh, can't fulfill our purpose for being here, and and I understand that. That's that's um, there's some, certainly some truth to that, um, but that's just part of the story. I think the other side is that um, sometimes we too narrowly define the gospel. The gospel is is Jesus Christ Himself, His life, death, resurrection, and current reign. That is the good news. Um, the gospel is embedded in the person and work of Jesus, and part of Jesus' person and work was his childhood. Jesus' time as a helpless child, learning and growing, was integral to fulfilling his purpose on earth. Jesus simply could not have been the perfect sacrifice if he had not lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father. The cross could not have happened without the cradle. In many ways, cross-cultural ministry opens us up to unique opportunities to walk the way of Jesus in weakness. Again, we're entering um, another culture as an adult and yet as someone who knows almost nothing about how to live and operate in that specific culture. And so we get to be children again. Hooray! I admit I wake up some mornings and do not feel like saying hooray. But um, it is truly a privilege to be able to, to in, in this small way, walk the way of Jesus, becoming a child again, and growing and maturing. Um, so, yeah, living overseas for me has been a way that God has worked in my life. And... Um, I would say if you're thinking about going overseas, don't be surprised if, if God works in you as much as he works on those around you. Um, 
before we can give to others, we first need to receive from Jesus. And it's from a position of weakness that God is able to work in our hearts as we prepare to reach out to others. All right, second, um, let's talk about gaining respect by asking for help. Asking for help is an important part of of being human. It's an important part of, of living in the kingdom. Um, we all need help. And specifically thinking about living overseas, asking for help has a way of positioning ourselves within a social context in a non-threatening way. It, it communicates that, look, we are... We are real humans. Um, we're not perfect. We need help. Again, this is hard um, because I came to this, to, to the cross-cultural context in which I am currently to help others. But I have to remember that Jesus, even though he was God, he took on human flesh. He became a human. He needed to be nursed and potty trained and taught how to speak. He needed human assistance. Um, I, how, why should I expect anything different for myself? All right, let's continue moving on. Um, let's talk a little bit now about relating to the national church. Um, this is, uh, I think, uh, uh, a topic that can, that can, that has a lot of tensions in it as, as we think about it. Um, and for me, it's, it's easy to, to come into a cross-cultural context and, um, have tensions in relating to the national church. I don't have good stats on this, but, but, um, I've heard enough people talk about it that it seems like it's, it's a fairly normal thing to, um, to, uh, face. It's easy to go overseas with our minds full of ideas about the best way, ways to do things. Um, however, after we arrive, we quickly begin to understand that this is not how the national church does things. We have a way of doing things where we're from. We go overseas and, and they just have a different way of doing things. So, so how do we relate to that? I think probably the biggest tension that <clears throat> I have felt so far in relating to the local churches in our area is simply the tension between partnering with the local churches and learning from them, while on the other hand, offering another way and, and hopefully a more biblical way of living a life of devotion to Jesus. When when we're in that tension, I think there are at least two two ditches that we can fall into. The one is to... to um, establish our ch- ourselves in the local church and to seek to um, seek the, the, the power and authority, the religious authority that we need to affect change in, in that church. The, the other, perhaps the other ditch is to just um, ignore the local church, to um, separate ourselves from it and to do our own thing. And I suggest that um, at least in most cases, in most cases, we should avoid both of these extremes and should look to find a middle ground, which allows us to both engage to some extent with what God is doing through the local church, as well as to allow God to do something new. Again, I'm, these are musings. These are ideals that I have. Um, I'm certainly a long way from, 
from realizing my ideals. One thing our team has done to, um, as we've related to the local church, that has been a blessing for us and I think for the local church as well, is to simply show interest uh, in what God has been doing, is doing through the local church. Um, so when we do that, it it um, it positions ourselves as as learners in a culture and a context that, admittedly, in many ways is still foreign to us. Um, because even though we we come to a cross cultural setting with big plans in our heads, um, I think we should at the same time assume that God has already been working in that context, and as a result, we should be willing to allow God to reshape our plans accordingly. Um, of course, this doesn't mean that we should just approve of everything that local churches do. But I think what it does mean is that we should seek to become experts at seeing how God is working within the local churches as well as outside the churches. When we came to Asia about three years ago, it was quite obvious that we were entering a place of deep spiritual darkness. And, you know, as we entered the country somehow the task of seeing locals come to know Jesus um, suddenly became harder, harder to visualize and have the faith to expect as we're just confronted with, with the, with the spiritual darkness. But as we've lived in this area and as we've interacted with, with both Christians and unbelievers, I think a, a fuzzy picture has begun to form in our minds of what God has been doing here, here all along. And part of what we see God doing is giving locals, local believers, a greater vision for the kingdom of God. Another thing that we have done to show interest um, in what God is doing through the local church is simply by taking time to spend with local church leaders, listening from them, listening to them, hearing from them, and showing interest and celebrating what God is doing through their church churches to bring the kingdom of God into their context. In the last year, um, our team has had a number of interactions with a local pastor who has shown a um, fairly significant desire for the local Muslim people to come to, mo- come to know the Father. And um, we've just been really encouraged and challenged by the energy and vision that he has for Muslims coming to Jesus. As a result of this energy and vision, this church is nearly um, consists nearly of 50% um, uh, former Muslims, which is incredible and something that we think is worth celebrating. So we, we praise God for that. Again, um, I'm going to wear this one out by the time we're done, but ask for advice and help. Um, I don't think I can say this too many times. As an example, um, to start off here, a number of years ago, my teammate started discipling a young teenager. Through these interactions, the teenager decided to follow Jesus. And not surprisingly, because of that, um, he faced a lot of uh, pushback from his family. His family was quite angry. So as this was developing, our team realized that we needed help discipling this friend of ours. So as a result, we went to a local pastor, we asked him for advice, and, and specifically we asked him if he would be willing to seek out 
a young fellow in his congregation who would be willing to spend significant time with this person um, and just show him the love of Jesus. So unfortunately, this fell through uh, due to a number of factors, um, but we at least made the effort. And I think um, whether or not we see the fruit, God honors attempts like that. And uh, so that's one thing we have done. And I, I think this is really important. I will say this again to ask for advice and help because, again, we are foreigners. There will be some things that we will never be able to offer in the way of discipleship. Um, the most obvious is simply the, lang- the language and cultural barriers that will always be there. Hopefully we can start breaking those down, but there will always be rubble in the way as we try to communicate the love of Jesus to others. So when we run up against these barriers, it's important that we have the humility to realize our weakness and ask local believers to help us walk, to um, walk with us through some of these these um, difficult things. All right, the third and final section here is, is relating to unbelievers. And the specific question I want us to, to think about as, as we look, as we just talk about this, is how do we approach our relationships with unbelievers with the paradigm of, of, of weakness, as we've discussed before, as we've looked at before? Um, in other words, we are the ones who are in the kingdom of God. We are the ones who enjoy freedom in Christ, who have been given the spirit, who are being continually sanctified and redeemed. So how do we how do we approach unbelievers in weakness if we are the ones who are inheritors of the kingdom? I think one way perhaps is by um, emphasizing presence over over answers, pat answers. Um, being present is more important than offering pat answers. And, and I, I think of of Paul's words in First Thessalonians two eight. Um, I alluded to the passage before and gave a brief summary of it. Um, but in that in that verse, he states um, something like. Um, <clears throat> We came, we gave you the gospel, but we not only gave you the gospel, we gave you our very lives. So Paul was in, in a very way present with this, with the Thessalonian church. And, um, he gave his life to see churches started. So presence over pat answers and just being okay with saying, I don't know. If you enter a cross-cultural situation, and even if you don't, but especially if you enter a cross-cultural situation, you will encounter questions that you simply don't have answers to. And I think we need to be okay saying, I don't know, but I'm willing to look into that. Um, so it, also, um, entering into people's pain, showing love and care to them, um, admitting our own weaknesses, um, I'm reminded of something that N.T. Wright says. He says that we are cracked vessels full of glory. We are wounded healers. And I, I connect with that very deeply. We are, we are, we, we are being redeemed, but we are still broken. And it is through recognizing and, and acknowledging our brokenness that we are able to receive healing 
and to extend healing to others. Number two, um, we have found here that it is important to allow people to participate in our family life. Um, this is not always pleasant. Sometimes family life is, is less than perfect and, um, it's, it's just not always pleasant to allow people to see the broken parts of our lives, but I think it's necessary. I also think, um, it, it's, it, yeah, this is just difficult for me. Um, I just admit that. I like to have things in order, my personal life, my family life, and when things are not in order, I just don't want people to see. I really don't. Um, yeah, I think sometimes this is exactly what unbelieving friends need to be able to see. They need to be able to see, yes, we are, we are, um, wounded healers. We are people, real people who have issues personal issues, family issues, and yet we have been touched by the Spirit and we have been given um, power as, as God um, slowly works his, his work of sanctification and redemption in our lives. And I, I think allowing people to in, in on our family life is especially important in cultures that have high divorce rates. And here in our context, the divorce rate is astonishingly high. Um, I know it's high in the States, but pretty sure it doesn't hold a candle to where we are here. Um, there are just so many broken homes, so many um, stepmothers, stepfathers, steps, this and that. Um, it's There's just so much brokenness, so many broken homes. And so in a context like that, um, we actually have a friend here, or two friends who, who come from very broken homes. One um, has been divorced four times and is, you know, wants somebody to love him. And, and he's just really struggling. And um, when he sees our family, he just says over and over, this is what, this is what um, I wish I had. And again, I'm not going to apologize for this, but ask for help. Ask your your unbelieving friends for help. Show them that you really need them. I think it's, this is important because when we go overseas, again, we go um, with a plan. We go with an NGO or whatever it is. And we have big plans to help other people economically and spiritually. But I wonder sometimes if we don't need to give more time to thinking of ways of how we can allow ourselves to receive both economically and spiritually from the local people that we live among. Here's, here's just a, a brief example. Um, six, eight months ago, my teammate was wanting to buy a, a motorbike here, but he didn't currently have the money to do so. And his, uh, his Muslim friend caught on and he said, Hey, you know what? Let me buy it for you and I'll, I'll pay you back. And, um, so my teammate was, was, Thinking about this, praying about this, he talked to me about it. And I was like, boy, I don't know. That's just, that's not really a textbook thing to do, you know. Um, I was struggling with it a little bit, but um, he went ahead and did it. And it turned out to be a um, really positive uh, gesture. And our, our friend really appreciated it. So um, I frankly admire my teammate for doing that. It, it took... 
um, some humility. It took some trust, but it was a way of, of, of building bridges rather than tearing bridges down. So this brings us about to the end of the talk here. And, um, we, we've looked at the, at the theme of, of extending the kingdom through weakness. We've considered, um, this theme through looking at the broad storyline of scripture as well as, as touching on a few examples from the early church. Now we are, we uh, finished up by, uh, me offering a few musings on how this paradigm of growing the kingdom of weakness could look in a cross-cultural setting. So I, I hope this has been helpful. Um, to um, all of you, and I hope um, it can be a blessing and encouragement as we together continue pushing forward and um, as we continue spreading the, the, the good news and the kingdom of God. So uh, blessings to each one of you. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Marvin, uh, for taking us on that on that journey. And I know it's uh, deeply personal journey for you uh, as well, um, going from the safe Midwest to, yeah, part of the world where it's everything is foreign. And um, obviously, you're also in part of the world, too, where you realize that this is not your home. <clears throat> and I just couldn't help but think as you were sharing that even though you're, this talk was kind of is kind of couched um, with the idea of foreign work and being a foreign worker um, and what that should look like. Like I just couldn't help but think how many things that you were sharing just apply to my context um, over and over again. And isn't it because we should all be, have the understanding that we're expatriates here, that this is not, um, that, that, you know, we are to be um, representing heaven uh, here on earth uh, example you know um, bringing bringing another culture another way um, representing being ambassadors you know, our, our citizenship is in heaven um, we're ambassadors for Christ and we just we see that just taught uh, all through the New Testament um, and lived out in, in many powerful ways um, and of course you know a question that you kept uh, you kept um, or a statement <laughs> that uh, you kept saying um, over and over again is that this idea of weakness and and shoe leather of, of of being willing to ask for help um, for help for those around us and um, and I, I struggle with that um, on on this side of the pond how I can do that with with the ones around me but um, definitely. Uh, pushing through there in that part of the world and being and just realizing that you need help and being willing to ask instead of, yeah, having all the answers, um, I'm sure has spoken to, uh, your, you're going to work with in many, many ways. So, um, you mentioned, so I, I'll, I'll open up for questions here right shortly, but, uh, you mentioned, um, how you see a growing desire for the kingdom of God there. So I know that, you know, obviously you're, you're in that town there. Actually, I think you're the, some of the only, um, expatriates in that, in that town. And, um, of course you're, you're seeing some of the, the church work that has been done by other people, um, there. And maybe a lot of it has more of a Western kind of Protestant type, uh, mindset framework. Um, but 
you mentioned how you're, you're seeing some hope, uh, or a, a grown desire for the kingdom of God. I know, would you mind sharing what that, um, looks like? Sure. I'll, I'll do my best. So, um, uh, one of the ways that I see it is a, a, um, willingness for local pastors to listen to our vision and to say, thank you for coming and for reviving in us a desire to see local people come to know Jesus. Hmm. Um, so that's part of it. Um, but the other part is also seeing um, living here long enough just to be able to see that, you know what, there are people who are in being intentional about the ways about how they live and intentionally seeking ways to, to spread the kingdom um, through speaking with their neighbors, talking with their neighbors and, um, and having extended prayer meetings for the lost in, in our area. So those are, those are a few examples things that we've we've come to see as as we've lived here for a couple of years that we wouldn't necessarily see right away. Sure. And I um I clearly remember as as you went um there that both of you had had this burning desire to see what what is God up to in this part of the world even you know just from your travels there, it looked like um, you know, a desert uh, in many, many ways. Um, but you, yet you still had that confidence that God was ahead of you. And um, I think that that hope um, has, has, has really equipped you uh, to, to not only see it, but also partner with, uh, with what God is, God is doing there. Um, maybe I have a couple more questions or uh, here shortly for you, but I'd like to open it up. Um, does anybody here have, have a question for Marvin? Maybe nobody wants to be weak for Christ. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> I kind of get what he's saying. I don't know. I'm confused, and I, I, I just I enjoyed listening to you. Um, it's definitely not a popular subject. Subject. Because everybody feels that Christ is empowering and we should be on top of the hill. And recently I've been talking about, no, 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 I think we're supposed to be at the bottom of the hill. And it's not, re- it's not accepted readily, but I really, uh, thank you for your thoughts and working ministry is not, you know, textbook. And you found that out with the motorcycle. Thank you. 
Yeah, thank you, Patrick. Uh, you're 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 an example of um, through yeah through following Christ of what not to do. <laughs> Thanks for being an example. <laughs> I'm willing to admit where you have failed or whatever. So yeah, appreciate that. So go ahead, you, you, you talk here. I guess on the subject of weakness, um, I, I look at it, I cut it a couple different ways. I guess when you're looking towards like Jesus or God, I look at that. Um, I mean, yeah, you should have strength, but you also have submission to, to God. But I think Jesus calls us to be stronger with him or, or, or whatever. Um, but like kind of the kingdom principle that I look at with weakness is kind of what God and Jesus calls us to do with the world, society, or whatever. Um, and there's where I think weakness, or I don't know if it's weakness or humbleness, because you can have a confidence and humbleness still, but it's sort of kind of the antithesis of um, uh, the antithesis of modern society. Modern society teaches us to be aggressive, assertive, um, and I've taken crap on this lately. <laughs> Um, saying that no, I, I think we're meant to be more humble and quiet, not always trying to push into conversations and that sort of stuff. And uh, I mean, that seems like a right field that that's kind of culture has gotten more and more aggressive and pushy. I mean, just in a conversation, try to wait for a pause uh, to talk and you probably won't find one. Yeah, thank you. I don't thank know if that's weak, weakness or quietness or humbleness, something. I, I appreciate that. And something, uh, Marvin, that you mentioned there is that um, um, is this this idea of presence. Um, and it's and I think built kind of deeply into the American mind. Um, yeah, is this. This idea of of um, having having the answers, doing it right, and being able to talk about it right, um, and but we realize that yeah, and, and hide hide where our needs are um, and put up this you know facade uh, and and um, and, uh, and when you allow people in your home into your lives. It's, it becomes quite evident quickly that um, we are we are needed people, and so I, I really appreciated that. And so, yeah, I think Jacob, your thoughts there tie right into that idea of, of, of presence, um, example being example uh, of by our lives, and then being willing to give an answer to the hope that is within us. But um, but as Peter says, we should do it do with meekness and with fear, with trembling. And that humility is, is, yeah, shines through and, and people are drawn to that. Um, wow. And may God help us be those, those kind of people, whether here or there. I run a, um, it's Patrick again. I run a, um, behavioral modification program for ex-convicts and I'm also in another chat group with some brothers around 
the South Central Pennsylvania area. And one of the things that somebody was asking me is, how can I be real hard on behavioral modification in a Christ-centered program and yet expect somebody's baptism to be weak and less uh, pushy on accountability with a new convert? And I see that as two entirely different principles. And if I'm not making sense, you can call me later and I'll explain it to you. But when somebody gets baptized, you know, I think a strong discipleship program is needed. But take my behavioral modification program. I've got guys that came from prison. If I'm not tough on them, they'll overrun this place. And so um, I see Glenn rubbing his face going, oh, no, not this. So I'll back out now. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Patrick. I mean, that's one of the challenges of the modern world is you, being humble. You get bulldozed or people don't even see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just just this week, I was in a conversation with two two um, Methodist pastors at our cafe. And we were, were launching right into to this idea of the upside down kingdom concept. And they wanted to hear more about that um, because they're, they're um, maybe in, in ways, you know, kind of um, putting their toe in the water on this idea uh, and, and, and they see it, but yet it's so hard to imagine to actually have faith, like an origin, you know, wrote there. I, I really appreciate what you, the, that quote um, Marvin that you read. We who by our prayers destroy all demons which stir up wars, violate oaths, and disturb the peace are of more help to the emperor than those who seem to be doing the, who seem to be doing the fighting. Like it's just this irrational or as you, as you said, absolutely ludicrous idea. Um, but I, I think as I know that as we look at scripture and look at history that we can see where we're, we're true followers of Christ, we're serving in the way of Christ, um, that the impact and the change that brought to the world. But it is the way of suffering. Um, it is the hard way. It is the upside down way. So we're at, we're at quarter after. Um, I, think, I'm always loud. Is it okay if I add one thing? Absolutely. Okay. I have a house of sex offenders. That's my behavioral modification program. And the ick factor in the community is really big. The ick factor in our churches is there too, but it's just one of them things. And I've chosen to take on the most arduous people. When I, when I started this, I heard God calling me to Nineveh and absolutely being a sex offender. I didn't want to go back to Nineveh. I didn't want to hear these people. Well, long and short is I have a neighbor who proclaimed that he was going to shut me down. He was going to take care of me. He verbally and physically was assault of. And one day I just had enough. And I went to him and he said he was standing on his porch and he was screaming at me, telling me, absolutely not. I'm going to beat you up. And I said, and he asked me, come to the backyard so I can get beat up. And I said, absolutely not. I'm here. Come here. And he ran towards me. And I failed because I grabbed him by his face. And I had to pull myself from it. 
and I apologized for touching him. I told him I was wrong and that I would allow him to hit me time and time again until he felt satisfied. And when we got done, I would not call the police. Hmm. And that happened for three years. He didn't talk to me. Hmm. Just recently, he's asking me to do things. He's cutting my lawn. <laughs> he's picking up trash around my house without me asking him. Wow. And I'm like freaked out. Like, how do I respond to this guy? Because quite literally two years ago, he wanted to shoot me. Hmm. So, you know, yeah. passivism or nonviolent, non-confrontational, whatever you want to call it, but taking the road of allowing others to abuse you for Christ's sake does work. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that story, Patrick. That's powerful. And I can, I can, um, knowing you, I can understand in your past why that was a, a very difficult journey, but the gods at work. Absolutely. Lord help us to know how to respond like that, whether, yeah, speech or, or in action. That's the, definitely the road less traveled, especially in our world where it just seems like polarization is, is just increasing on so many sides. We can step in the middle and, and be peacemakers. I appreciate that. So, uh, Marvin, yeah, thank you for, for what you, sh- well, for, uh, again, coming on this morning. And, um, uh, if, if you would just maybe just tell us a little bit about, um, so you obviously you, you're, you're learning, um, the language there, the trade language, and, and now have begun to learn the, the target language of the, of the, uh, the, the people group that you want to see scriptures translated into. Um, would you mind just telling us a little bit about, about that? Um, maybe, uh, where you're at, um, in that, in that process, uh, of, of, uh, seeing the scriptures translated into that target language. Um, and maybe uh, some of the different things you're doing there as well, um, just to be a presence in the community, you and your teammates. Um, so, and then I would like you to close with prayer this time. So you can just keep it real, real kind of, and not share what you should report. That would be great. And then we'll, we'll end the call. So go, go ahead, Marvin. Sure. I can do that quickly here. So, um, yeah, when we came here three years ago, we, um, we were hoping to do translation work and, um, our teammate was uh, hoping to do community development work. And so these things have been progressing kind of simultaneously. And so currently we have, we have uh, business visas. I'm running a, a business here. Um, we've, it's just kind of starting to get off the ground and uh, we have pretty big hopes for how that could um, open up relationships as well, um, through business and through agricultural sorts of, of things. Um, um, we, like I said, we also came here, um, planning on doing translation work. Um, the last, I don't know, probably about, yeah, about the last year or so, um, my wife and I have been concentrating on, on a language survey to see, to get a better idea of whether or not this language could benefit from Bible translation. So we've done that. We've completed it. Um, we feel fairly confident that, that this could be a blessing and a benefit for, 
for um, the local community as we um, are praying that God will continue to raise up, up uh, Christians, raise up people who are passionate for Jesus in, in this local context here, this, uh, the target people that we're working with. Um, so we have yet to start an official program. We're still looking for, for a potential, um, mother tongue translators. Um, and, uh, the difficulty, part of the difficulty is that there are so few believers here. Um, we know of maybe four. And, um, so that's, that's one of the difficulties here, but we, we keep praying that, um, God would, would, uh, raise people up to, um, serve him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just a, another thing we do is just spend time with, with our neighbors and, um, friends today. I, I spent about three hours with, with one of my friends. I mentioned him during, during, um, uh, my talk. Um, spending time with him and my boys, um, I actually needed help doing something. He needed help, and then I needed help, so we helped each other. And um, so those are things we do from day to day. And um, yeah, we uh, continue praying that Jesus would would show Himself real here, and uh, we invite you all to pray um, as well. So uh, why don't we close in prayer? Father, we thank you that you are our Father, we are your children, that you love us dearly, and um, we are awed at the way that you have chosen to work in the world. It's it's not the way that always makes sense to us, Father, but um, we believe that it aligns with your character, your perfect character, and with your will. And so we we. Accept it and, and we rejoice in um, the way that you are working throughout the world, in every, every part of the world. And when we get to see your presence and your work mm. in those parts of the world, we choose to rejoice and to um, praise you for that. Father, thank you for this group of brothers here this morning. Pray that you would uh, empower them to live uh, the life that you have for each one of them to live, life of obedience and surrender to you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for the redemption that you are working in each of our lives, um, sanctifying us, drawing us closer to you. And I pray that that would spill out to those that we interact with today and tomorrow and in the years to come. Thank you so much for your love. We love you too, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, thank you again, Brother Marvin, for coming on here and taking up your Saturday evening uh, to share this talk and share with us. I really, really do appreciate that. And uh, God bless you and your family. And uh, may you have a, a wonderful Lord's Day there uh, tomorrow as well. So thank you. Once again. Absolutely. All right. Um, so a couple quick, quick announcements here. Um, so two weeks ago, we had Conrad Eby on sharing about um, understanding trauma, OCD, and scrupulosity. And um, we had a high attendance and lots of interest, and it felt like we hardly hardly had time for the questions. And so we're actually bringing him on as a bonus talk uh, next Saturday, uh, part two. 
We'll be unpacking a couple of things, but also taking questions as well. And so um, we're going to actually be um, be posing those questions to him as an admin team. So if you have any questions from the talk from two weeks ago or any other areas you would like Conrad to kind of uh, unpack, um, please get submit those questions to us via our website um, and um, and and uh, our um, uh, through email or whatever. So uh, that would be that would be wonderful. Uh, so thank you again for coming on and uh, look forward to seeing many of you for willing and God bless your day. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. <laughs>